Welcome back to another Cardinals Off Day podcast, a Cardinals Off Season podcast. And you know, if we're coming to you in the off season, it must be because things have happened. And uh, we're going to discuss those things. But uh, first, uh, let me welcome my good friend, Ben Humphrey. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Mr. Godar. How was your uh, long Thanksgiving weekend? I was pretty good. Pretty good. You know, um, it's some uh, I made a brisket. I stopped making turkey a few years ago, tried all the different like turkey things. I smoked a turkey a few times. You know, it was good. But like, you know, what's better than turkey brisket. So um, that's what we had here. Uh, how about you? Uh, it, it was nice. We didn't have to do much traveling uh, this year. So we just stayed around town and uh, had an early Thanksgiving dinner because of the the young kids and we're back home in time for them to take a nap and so uh the whole weekend uh was pretty relaxing until it snowed in the middle of me trying to put up my christmas lights and so uh i have about half of the christmas lights left to go uh because it snowed pretty good at our house and uh then it was uh quite cold and 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 icy so i was unable to complete that task before the end of the weekend but uh the weather's gonna get a little bit warmer and i'll probably have that done tomorrow night uh or thursday night so uh so, we are getting into the holiday spirit here humphrey household yeah so you had to head back inside and just keep refreshing uh john Heyman and bob nightingale's feeds on twitter to see if there's any breaking news is what i'm hearing you say yes i you know i did not spend time with the children i just uh, kept refreshing baseball twitter uh, to see what the latest cardinals roster moves uh were and um you know it's nice over the holiday weekend when that news is kind of coming in you know and, and you yeah. get the black friday and cyber monday headlines and illusions in the reporting and it's a lot of fun when your team is doing things rather than you know kind of sitting back and, and letting the market develop they're kind of out there helping to set the market and we talked about that uh, a little bit yeah. uh, in the build-up to this offseason about how when the cardinals have a clear need john Mosellock usually doesn't sit around on his hands and see if maybe they can fill it he usually acts pretty quickly and that was definitely the case this offseason uh what are your, what, what's your initial impression uh of the moves the cardinals have made yeah, well, um, you know, so, and that, you know, they came one after the other, but still to kind of take them in, in quickly in order. Uh, I was thrilled that they signed Lance Lynn. Um, I know that he's uh, kind of a, a more of a fringe starter at this point in his career, but I love Lance Lynn. I just think he's entertaining as hell to watch. So <laughs> I was very, very glad to have him back. And, uh, you know, if he can be a sort of good version of old Lance Lynn, I still think he's a he's a very good pitcher. He does the does the strikeout thing um, that they're looking for, uh, you know, if not at like top of the league type levels, certainly much better than, uh, you know, uh, the litany of jobbers he's replacing. Um, Kyle Gibson is a guy like, uh, you know, <laughs> like uh, kind of the uh, avatar of league average ish i would say so like perfectly fine but i'm gonna be honest like i know who kyle gibson is but like i i really um it's it's been a quite a climb to develop any kind of an opinion 
uh, other than just he's fine. Uh, you know, and then of course the big one, Sonny Gray, who, I mean, I know people, you know, some people were team Yamamoto, you know, some people hoped they might've, you know, gotten Nola. Um, Sonny Gray is right up there. And I think there's a lot of things about him that probably fit the team a little bit better. So um, I think he's a, a great acquisition and the one that actually, you know, clearly brings an upgrade. So I, I have a lot of thoughts just kind of about the how the team is is, is approaching this overall. But um, but let me kick it over to you, Ben. What, do, what did you think about each of these three guys? Uh, you know, the thing that immediately struck me um, and and we have talked about this. Uh, a little bit as well, and and I hate to be redundant for our regular listeners, but uh, you know we had kind of talked about the need to have someone who's a little bit unpleasant in the clubhouse that makes people a little <laughs> bit uncomfortable. And uh, you're talking about Kyle you know, Gibson like, here, of course. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, and so Lance Lynn, I was very happy uh, to see that they signed Lynn. Uh, you know, he's definitely kind of reached the John Lackey veteran salty bulldog phase of his career. Right. Um, he's, he's the Archie he's, Bunker of the, uh, of the uh, staff. Yeah. But he's also someone like, you know, he's very intense and I think he can be brutally honest both about himself uh, and I suspect in conversations with other players, uh, maybe not in the media. And so I think that's good. I think yeah. that's something that the Cardinals needed in their clubhouse is they needed a proven veteran who can help hold people accountable because obviously the the pitching staff last year did not find uh, the manager and pitching coach particularly inspiring. You know, and with Yadier Molina gone, it really well, did feel like there was kind of a void in that area of the Cardinal clubhouse. I, I hope that makes a difference. I, I don't know. I'm always... Uh... I always feel like we don't know. I feel like I don't know as much as I think I do on those soft skills. And I would say, yeah. Ben, how, how good would even an inspired Jake Woodford be? <laughs> <laughs> or Dakota Hudson. Oh, um, oh yeah. Yeah. You know, but it's uh, it. So I was happy to see that because I think it's a different mix. And, you know, I love Adam Wainwright. You love Adam Wainwright. Everyone loves Adam Wainwright, but he's much uh he's much closer in personality to his new puppy louie than he is to a salty bulldog yes. and so uh you know he he is definitely a leader but he is not uh you know kind of that more abrasive type of leadership and so i think having that uh that in the mix uh is a good thing yeah um and i also think that lynn you know, I saw, I, I've seen a lot of people and, you know, you get on Twitter and what Twitter, social media has broken people's brains and Twitter in particular just seems to become, you know, a fairly negative place to be. And, you know, one of the things that I saw, you know, folks were, uh, you know, talking about with the Gibson and Lynn edition. So many hits they'd given up, and I was like, "Well, that's a counting stat. And if you're, you know, if you're throwing 180, 190 innings, you're going to give up more hits than someone who's yeah. throwing 150." Right. You, and so I, you know, it seems to me move, moving from uh, whatever they call the new Comiskey now, 
to Bush Stadium is going to have an impact on that home run rate. And you look at his other stats, his strikeouts, his whiffs, his batting average on balls in play, um, and even his expected ERA. Um, it really looks like he got, you know, he, he maybe just got bit with the home run bug last year, and he's a pretty good, he's a pretty good bet uh, to see that home run rate go down. And so, uh, you know, we talk about the different stats, the 5.73 earned run average. If you go look at, you know, strikeouts, walks, and home runs, that's usually a more uh, traditional way for us to look at an individual pitcher's performance and Lynn's fielding independent pitching, which uses his strikeouts, his walks, and his home runs was 5.53. And, and the way to really show what that home run rate was last year uh, to me is to then go look at his ex-FIP or his expected fielding independent pitching, which takes his strikeouts, his walks, uh, and then replaces his home run rate with a league average one. And his XFIP is 4.50. And so, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, you know, that's great if he has a 4.50 ERA next year. But it's not that bad. And if he's giving you 185-ish innings in the, in the mid-4 ERA range, you know, that's that's a pretty good pitcher. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, you know, I think we have to keep this in context, Ben, too. Like, yeah, historically, we might say 4.5, uh, you know, XFIP or, or, or FIP or ERA, not great. Uh, the guys he's replacing, you know, Wainwright, Hudson, Woodford, Rom. I mean, you know, I mean, Wainwright's ERA was over six last year. And the rest of those guys are, are you know, as bad. So, um, it's a massive improvement. Yeah, it's, you know, it's uh, it's in the range of Jack Flaherty, quite frankly, for the Cardinals last year. Um, you know, he had a four, I think a four, four, three RA for the Cardinals, if I remember correctly. So it it's, and it's kind of in the realm of maybe Miles Michaelis. Um, and it's going to be, you know, they're looking at that value in the bulk innings. Um, and so, but the difference between him and Flaherty is he's going to give you more innings. And so that has a value and the Cardinals are clearly placing a value on it. Um, and I think the signing of Sonny Gray really helps inform the signings of Gibson and Lynn, because you can see they wanted to build that bedrock of innings pitched so they could go out and get a pitcher like a Sonny Gray and the reason a pitcher who was as good as Sonny Gray was this year um, is available on a three-year $75 million deal is one, his age, but two, his health. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's given some good interviews and he's been very candid about how he has changed his approach uh, to be healthier. But, you know, Sonny Gray doesn't have, a heck of a lot of seasons where he's getting up into the 180, 190 innings pitched. And when he does get up into that level, he tends to have a season or two where it dips back down uh, into the, uh, you know, the lower half of the 100s in the innings pitched. And so they have a lot of upside potential with Gray, 
but with his injury history and his age, you do kind of wonder about that downside potential. And I think when you view Gibson and Lynn in concert with the signing of Gray, I think it's pretty clear that they wanted to build up an in, in innings, uh, you know, kind of buffer for that rotation with Michaelis, with Lynn, and with Gibson, and then go up and and make this type of, of a little bit of a higher risk play uh, with Gray. And so I think when you look at them all together, I, I think it, it makes a lot more sense uh, than just Lance Lynn or just Kyle Gibson, where I think a lot of people were caught off guard by them signing a couple of back of the rotation innings eaters. So Ben, one thing I wanted to ask you about, um, and, and, and I've just been kind of thinking about is how these moves uh, are, but basically how do these compare to maybe what our expectations were and what the sort of like, you know, maybe low end and high end of our, uh, you know, expectations or hopes were, and, and, and I'll just kind of throw out there, I, I think we're kind of in the, in the middle here, you know, um, you know, Mo came out and he promised, uh, or he's, you know, said he'd get three starters. He's gotten three starters, right? Um, I think that with Sonny Gray in particular, I think they went uh, bigger than they typically go. And just in terms of, uh, you know, really the quality. I mean, this is a guy who was a Cy Young runner up last year, um, you know, compared to their, uh, you know, previous pitching free agent signings who are more guys like Steven Matz, right? So they definitely went, you know, bigger there. Um, you know, with Gray and Lynn, um, a little less so with Gibson, I think you definitely see them looking a little more to that strikeout profile as opposed to in recent years where they just really tried to like triple down on the ground ball guys thing. So those are all things I think that are, are positive and kind of are in that like, you know, change kind of way. Worth noting too, Sonny Gray did have a qualifying offer attached, which is something they have almost never done before. Um, so again, kind of out of the comfort zone there. That said, um, you know, you know, it's it's three old guys on short contracts that they're not paying a lot of money to, right? So I don't know that we're seeing the ownership really changing its edict to, frankly, just not spend money on pitching. And you know, th there's some real uh, intelligence to that, of course, because pitchers are just so much more volatile than position players. But you know, when your pitching is in the state of disarray that it was, you know, is this is this enough? I think that's, you know, an open question. Um, and I've got some other kind of just thoughts about maybe where they got to versus where I maybe thought or hoped they would get to. But what were some of your takes on that, Ben? Um, I, I was kind of thinking the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah. Um, because... You know, they we saw them strike quickly on Stephen Matz, who, you know, had a more checkered injury history, was coming off a pretty good season, um, and they signed him. You know, kind of more of the bargain, the bargain value uh, of the free agent market, yeah. and and here I think that they've done something, uh, and and then in the past they've also. Uh, aggressively gone out and gotten like Mike Leak, who definitely profiled as more a back end innings eater. And right. they, they greatly overpaid for Leak. It wound up being a terrible signing, uh, very different in terms of the contract structure, of course. I'm just talking about the profile of, of what type of pitcher 
um, he really was. Right. And, you know, when you, when you look at, at that, you know, it's kind of like not flashy stuff, innings yeah. eating pitchers, you know, it's more of the same. And then you also even have with Sonny Gray where he's, he's probably the best starter they have signed in, in quite some time. Right. Just in oh, terms yeah. of stuff. I can't um, even think of who would be, I can't think of any, I mean, I can't think back to who would even be in that conversation. Um, no. You know, uh, signed as a free agent for sure. Yeah. And so it's like Sonny Gray is definitely different, but then you look at the other things, the, the, the injury history before this great season he had in his walk here and the age. And it's kind of yeah. like, Oh, you know, they are still, you know, I, I had the thought aging starting pitchers are the new money ball, uh, yeah. at least for DeWallet, right? Like, yeah. um, and, and so it's, they were aggressive. They did go out and address their weakness, but for all the talk of, hey, we need to go out and get strikeouts, you know, it was not really a huge shift because right. if you're going to go out and get, you know, a top of the rotation starter in the year 2023, you're going to get someone who can strike guys out because that's what pitchers do now. You know, yeah. it was just kind of like, oh, hey, yeah, you guys are doing a lot of things different, but not really, you, you know, like, and, and so I think yeah. that maybe some of those greater changes might be in the way that they're scouting, drafting, and developing pitchers. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to the way they go out and spend money on their major league rotation, because yeah. if they had a complete and an utter turnaround in the way that they're valuing pitching and the way they're approaching uh, the acquisition of pitching this offseason, they they might not have even signed anyone yet. You know, maybe mm -hmm. they signed Gray and they're they're going after someone else, and so. Right. Uh, I, I think you're right. I think that we're still seeing them shopping, you know, in the discount bin, so to speak, whether it's age, yeah. whether it's health, whether it's the lower end of the strikeout spectrum. Um, yeah, they're, they're definitely not going all in on starting pitching, or at least they haven't this offseason. No, I agree 100 percent. And another thing, too, that to me feels a little antiquated that they still seem to be holding on to is this idea of a, a limited number of starting pitchers being able to give you all of these innings right and with you know with Lynn and Gibson the track record is certainly there so I'm not like 100 I'm not completely discounting that but I mean the reality is uh it, it, starting pitchers are just so volatile so uh, it would not be a shock if you know one or both of those guys fell apart this season, right? And and I just think that when you look at, when I look at the better teams and how they're constructed, they've really done away with this, you know, five, top five starting pitchers guy. And they they, they go much deeper. Um, and there's several guys that are pitching kind of in that mix that they know are not gonna, you know, th throw, you know, anywhere near 180 innings even, right? Um, but they're going to be able to mix and match and they're going to sort of build bullpen pieces that are complementary to that. That would have been a more radical way for the team to go. Um, and, you know, they didn't go that way. Uh, 
I do think it's interesting, and you kind of hinted at this, the, the fact that these contracts are, uh, you know, Lynn and Gibson uh, a year each with an option and, and Gray three years, that's a really short window. Um, I, obviously, they need to build some kind of internal, uh, you know, pitching prospects because they're, you know, they're, they're, they're starting pitching prospects in the organization right now are Tink Hens end of list. So, uh, you know, in a way, the fact that they elected for guys on short-term deals gives me some hope that they might also be looking at, you know, what can we do in there? And, and, and one thing I wonder is, you know, could that be something that we see, you know, via trade? Do they, do they take some of this, you know, some of the like, you know, 51 second base utility players that they have? And is there a trade this offseason that maybe does add a, a high-end minor league arm? So it, it, potentially in the kind of, you know, one, two, three years that these three guys are exiting the team, you've got a, a Tink Hens, a Takoa Roby, and maybe a, a new acquisition. You know, maybe you have three guys that are kind of potential, um, you know, certainly starters and, and maybe even like middle of the rotation guys or, you know, with Hens, I think you hope even more. But um, so, yeah, I don't know. Those are just some of the kind of, I, I think I agree with you, but yeah, very similar. I, I think a lot about the, uh, about Mike's uh, half measures speech from uh, Breaking Bad when I look at, uh, when I look at these moves. It's in the right direction, but I think it might be half measures. Yeah. And the, you know, we talked, we have also talked about the team, you know, probably wanting to avoid painting themselves into a corner uh, with five dedicated starters. You know, which are, they uh, which they complete, and we were totally wrong about that, Ben. And that was something yeah. else that surprised me. They they absolutely went in that direction. And you know, there the the thought that I had was kind of, you know, have they signed free agents so that Mats is now the one half of a starter that they talked about? Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Acquiring where like now their swing guy is Mats. Um, yeah. And then you've seen on Twitter reports that the Cardinals have communicated to teams that Steven Matz is available. And, right. you know, to me, you know, Mosellock has said, you know, we aren't looking to acquire another starting pitcher, but you never say never. And you do still kind of wonder if they're hoping to clear some payroll, maybe in the form of Tyler O'Neill and Matz. And then, you know, maybe they are going to go do something more aggressive uh, on that front. I mean, who knows? But yeah. uh, right now, it looks like they have locked in their starting five, just like they did last offseason. And those are going to be the guys. And then your number six now is is probably Thompson down in Memphis. Yeah. And then your number seven is who? Liberator? Like, right. the, it's really not all that different than right. where they were last year. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I went and I looked at the Zips projections for the rotation last off season. And, you know, they, uh, Dan Zimborski at Fangraphs has started releasing the 80th and the 20th percentile yeah. uh, projections as well. And I thought that was pretty interesting because, you know, like Montgomery's, uh, 80th percentile was 287. Uh, so was Flaherty's 
uh, and and then Montgomery's twentieth uh, was three point nine three. Flaherty's was four point oh six. Then Matt's was three point one six, four point four six. Wayno was three point four four, four point six zero. <laughs> if and only. Then Mike, <laughs> and then Michaelis was three point three four and four point two five. And so when you when you look at how everything panned out, yeah, you know you got worse than 20th percentile earned run averages from Flaherty, Wainwright, and Wainwright by a lot, um, yeah. and Michaelis. And Matt's, for most of the year, was worse than his 20th percentile. Right. You know, they he yes. was so bad they took him out of the rotation. Yeah. And he only pitched well after they were already out of everything. And so you're kind of, the, the reason they released the 80 and the 20 is that's kind of, those are pretty good buffers on, you know, kind of the guy's probably going to be in this range. Right. right. Like, and so, you know, cause that's the, the middle, uh, the middle 60, uh, yeah. 60% of, of all the projections. And, and so um, I thought that was pretty interesting. And, and I'm inter I will be looking at the zips uh, projections when they come out to kind of look at those 80, 20 uh, projections for Lynn and Gibson and Gray, because I'll tell you right now, like, you know, it, you know, Gray looks an awful lot like Jordan Montgomery, you, you know, and it, it sure feels like Flaherty is probably going to look an awful lot like Gibson and, you know, Lynn could, you know, Gibson or, or excuse me, uh, Flaherty or Wayno looks like Gibson, and then Lynn might look a little bit like them as well. And I'm just kind of wondering, you know, back to your point earlier and and what we were discussing about how, you know, are we really doing anything all that different? Like yeah. Sunny Gray is different, but right. the overall picture really doesn't look too terribly different from what we were looking at last year. Yeah, I know. I I agree. I agree. Um, and uh, you know, again, I think it's it's clear that they they don't believe in spending on pitching and so they kind of found a way to do that um with a maybe a slightly adjusted sort of priorities but um yeah you know it's uh it, it's it's it is a lot of similarity to what we've seen in the past um you know that said ben i mean it, this you know all of those guys you mentioned last year and i think you kind of you know, really almost drove this point home. I mean, even the, some of those guys were not really good pitchers and we knew that going in, you know, the, that's, that's really kind of a, a cluster of bad luck to have that many guys just perform that badly. Right. And so you, you wouldn't expect that to happen again. So, you know, even if this collection of guys is maybe not as markedly different from some of the uh, rotations they've put out there in the past, um, you know, gray is definitely an improvement and you would just think through just sheer dumb luck. <laughs> you're probably going to see, you know, an, an improvement, um, that, uh, you know, uh, at least hopefully gives us uh, competitive baseball for longer into the season. Um, anything else on these pitchers or should we, do you want to hit on anything else, um, that they either they've done or that we're kind of looking ahead to at the winter meetings? Uh, the one thing that I do want to caution folks on Sonny Gray is, you know, if you are high on the Lynn signing or you think it's pretty good or you think it's okay, 
because you look at his home run rate and you think, oh, hey, that's very likely to come down. Right. I 100% agree with you. Uh, but but that is a two-way street, and Sonny Gray is coming down the other side of it. <laughs> you know, like, he gave up a yeah. minuscule amount of home runs, and, uh, you know, that really helped inform his 2.79 ERA. Uh, and it's reflected by his 2.83 FIP, which includes his home run rate. But when you, when you use that XFIP with, that substitutes his home run rate with the major league average home run rate, he has a 3.64 XFIP, which is right in line with his 3.69 expected ERA. And so, you know, is Sonny Gray a two-something ERA starter? He might be, yeah. you know, but but more likely than not, you know, he's going to be in that 3.25 to 3.75 range. And, um, and still be the best still pitch, the best starting pitcher the Cardinals have had since Flaherty had that one good season. Yes, yes, 100% <laughs> it is. Um, but it's also kind of like how, uh, you know, Chris Carpenter in 2005 was otherworldly. And then he was, he was uh, you know, good in 2006, just not that good. You, you yeah. know what I mean? And, yeah. And it was just because he wasn't going to repeat that again because it was the career year. Yeah. And I think Sonny Gray is probably coming off of his career year. But, you know, he's also a guy, you know, reading the interviews with him, uh, listening to some of the interviews with him, you know, he is, he is, he seems to be a very uh, intellectually curious guy and he does not seem to be all that comfortable in what he's doing in a good way where he's challenging himself to be better. Yeah. And so he's had the health issues and he's changed the way that he works at and prepares in the off season. Yeah. And then and he is also, Go ahead. Oh, I was also going to say he he also changes the way that his pitches are thrown and shaped, yep. and he's a guy who can spin them. And so, yeah, like this is definitely a guy who who tinkers with what he's doing to be as good as he can be every year. And I think that bodes well for him. Yeah, and and I'll say Ben, I um, I was a, a very similar point I was going to make. Uh, yeah, Gray with you know developing this sweeper and just all the other little you know changes he's made in his pitches. Um, that's a that's just a thing that guys do now, and I'm a, a much more of a believer in that. And I also think it's maybe should be changing a little bit of what we think we know about aging curves for pitchers, because yes, they exist, of course, but um, you know it, it used to be that guys were more or less you know working with the the stuff they had you know kind of through their careers and and maybe they got a little craftier and a little junk ballier as they went on but more or less you know their their career arcs followed kind of a traditional aging curve arc we see guys now in their 30s who you know tap tap into something shape a new pitch and it dramatically changes who they are as a pitcher and, and that can have knock-on ramifications. It doesn't mean they're not still going to get old and more injury-prone and lose velocity and all that. But um, I am a believer in a pitcher like, uh, you know, like Gray and what he's done, you know, being able to say like, yeah, this is a different guy now than this was, uh, you know, four years ago. And, uh, you know, we should also bring up Lance Lynn uh, when we're talking about this dynamic. Because, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, he, he, went, he used to throw breaking balls when he was a Cardinal. Yeah. <laughs> then he went to like all fastballs. And then when he was on the Dodgers last year, he did a lot of different stuff and seemed to be very open 
you know, he was clearly not satisfied with his performance and wanted to get better. And he really, you know, mixed what he mixed up what he was doing with his pitch selection and that type of thing. And yeah. so and then also his wife had the very funny social media post about how they now have a, you know, a, a pitching tunnel in their home because he doesn't want to lead the league in home runs again this year. Yeah. And so here's another guy where it looks like he's looking with, uh, you know, a little bit of a critical eye uh, at his performance and wants to be better and he's doing things differently. And yeah. So, and I, and I think that's a positive thing that, that you want to see. I mean, you know, he could probably just rest on the laurels of his successful big league career come back and, and be a pretty good pitcher next year just on natural regression of home run rate. But he's not doing that. And so, you know, depending on what he and Dusty Blake talk about and what the Cardinals see and what they think might work, and who knows what talking with Sonny Gray or Kyle Gibson, who has implemented a sweeper as well late in his career, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, who knows what those types of conversations might mean uh, for Lance Lynn and, and what he looks like as a pitcher next year. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I think that there's definitely the potential there for these guys to be better than what, you know, you think they are going to be, but I, but I just also think we need to kind of look at what that profile is for these guys and how it's really not all that different from, uh, what they had, entering last season and you know i think they were projected you know pretty much across the board between 85 and like 90 wins somewhere in there and so it wouldn't surprise me as we sit here today the the position players are largely unchanged and so with this new pitching staff it it will not surprise me ben if the projection systems have the cardinals forecasted to be a very similar team in terms of wins and losses as they forecasted them entering last season. So yeah. uh, it, it'll be, you know, I think that they have strengthened the rotation. I, I think there's more upside to this rotation than what they had last year. Um, but by that same token, it's not all that different from the way the Cardinals front office has approached the starting rotation in the DeWallet ball era. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Ben, as we look ahead, I, uh, as folks will be listening to this, we'll have the, the winter meetings coming up. Um, again, off season, we don't have any kind of a regular schedule. So we'll see should the, at, whether at the winter meetings or later, they make another major move. We'll, uh, we'll be back with you, but uh, we don't know when that'll be. Um, I don't know, Ben, any thoughts or expectations heading into the, the winter meetings and just the rest of the off season? Um, it, it sounded like, uh, listening to Mose uh, press conferences and it makes sense given where we are on the calendar that, you know, they had had some initial trade discussions, obviously before the non-tender deadline, they did a lot and they couldn't find any takers for Dakota Hudson, Jake Woodford, Andrew Kisner, you know, which I think says something. Yeah. Um, and uh, it sounded like I think Mosellock used the phrase that they're going to let uh, trade discussions percolate. <laughs> mm. And so, uh, which made me think of Twin Peaks. There's a fish in the percolator. Um, but uh, the, the trade talks, 
you know, sound like they're probably going to be around a relief pitching. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like they're probably also going to be around some of the Cardinals bats. And so I was, I was asking, or I was thinking, Ben, uh, who in your opinion is, is most likely to be a Cardinal on opening day, Tyler O'Neill or Dylan Carlson? Oh man. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's the million dollar question. Um, I, I wish it was Tyler O'Neill. I mean, I'll say, I think there's good reason for them to trade both of those players, but um, you know, Tyler O'Neill actually, you know, can occasionally be good at baseball. Um, Dylan Carlson cannot. Um, and, and I just think I'm going to be honest, like, I, like who would trade for Dylan Carlson? Like, what are you, you know what I mean? What are you, what are you getting with, with Dylan Carlson? It's, it's just, it's so little. Um, whereas O'Neill, I think, um, obviously there's the massive health issues, but he's had consistently, you know, when he's had healthy periods of time, you've seen production. So I don't think you're going to get any kind of a windfall trade by any means, but I think they'll at least be able to get something for O'Neill. And I think they've basically decided they're done with both of these guys. So, um, I think anything short of an absolute dump, they'll probably take. Well, yeah, what, do, what do you think, it, Ben? It, it would not surprise me if Brendan Donovan is playing a lot of outfield next year. Let's just, let's just say that. I mean, yeah. you know, we, we, we could be in a situation where the two utility guys um, are predominantly outfielders next year. Right. Cause you, you very well could see Gorman as the primary second baseman uh, win as the primary shortstop. And then of course there's Goldschmidt and Arenado. And so, you know, where does, where does that leave you? And so, well, and the, the other factor is, you know, we know that we expect uh, Walker to be the primary starter and, and right new bar, whether they decide on, you know, center or left or whatever, the, the thing with new bar, as much as we love him and we absolutely love him and we love his skill set, but he has not shown an ability to be healthy either. So, um, no. y- you know, even with whatever else they might do, I mean, I, at this point I would pencil new bar in for, maybe 120 games, you know, 100 to 120 games. So in that kind of a universe, you're absolutely going to be getting something like, you know, Brendan Donovan in left field. Yeah. And maybe uh, uh, a healthy dose of Dylan Carlson or, you know, come June, July, maybe Victor Scott the second. Yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd, oh, man. Excited about that guy. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that'll be, I mean, that'll be, yeah, interesting to see. Um yeah, I've kind of, um, you know, as I read the Mo tea leaves, and I, I never take anything he says at face value, but even so, just listening to him all these years, seeing what the Cardinals do, I do get the sense that, you know, they've made their big moves already. It, um, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll see a, a, a really big trade, but um, I'm with you. I expect it to be something smaller, you know, something probably that bolsters the bullpen. So, um I'll be watching, but I'm I'm feeling like what I'm looking at right now is probably more or less the team I'm going to see uh, come spring. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's going to be interesting. I'm hoping for for quite a few uh, minor league contracts with non roster invites. Uh, oh for, well, they'll 100 percent do that. I mean, that's just for yeah uh, for the the bullpen. I'm, yes. I, I, that's my favorite season of the year to, to look at the, the bullpen lottery tickets 
Yeah. Uh, and, and hoping we've got another Pat Neshek in there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, as I've said many times, you know, you know, bullpen arms are like cattle and that's the way to do it is just, you know, bring in as many of those guys as possible. That's the one thing I don't want to see is I don't want to see a trade that bundles some of these position players we're talking about, you know, including, you know, potentially even like a Donovan or a Gorman or something, uh, you know, to get a bullpen arm. That's that's the last thing I want to see, because you just it's it's just never worth spending up, you know, to get those, uh, you know, those bullpen arms, you know. Um, unless you want another Brett Cecil. Yeah. Yes. Uh, another Brett Cecil, which, you know, who, who knows, Steven Matz may be the new Brett Cecil, uh, when it's all yeah. said and done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he could be, he could be. So, um, all right, Ben, um, I don't know that I've got anything else, anything else you want to say before we, uh, bid our listeners adieu? No, uh, but I, I think the, uh, the Lynn Gibson Gray maneuver uh, that Mosaic has pulled off has definitely fortified the starting rotation. And yeah. you know, when you when you look at the rosters across the National League, uh, and in particular in the National League Central, yeah, you know, you got to feel pretty good about the St. Louis Cardinals as we sit here today before the winter meetings and any of the other teams have really done much. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, it remains to be seen you know, what the competition will do because the Reds and Cubs have reportedly been inquiring about pitching. Uh, so I, I think the Reds and Cubs are going to be uh, pretty aggressive. And and so it will be interesting to see if the Cardinals feel they need to improve in other ways uh, to, to compete for that division crown or if they're feeling pretty good about where they sit uh, right now, like they did after they signed Wilson Contreras last year and just kind of sat on their hands and didn't do much. So yeah. I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how active the Cardinals are uh, over the remainder of the winter because, you know, the, the more I think about it, Ben, the more it feels to me like this might be more of a, you know, kind of Michael Corleone, Mosaic just kind of clearing things out and just uh -huh. sending a clear message like this is this is who we are and this is what we're doing yeah um and and clearing the decks because oliver marmal has shown he doesn't do well when he has to manage the bullpen a lot he doesn't do well when he has to manage five outfielders getting playing time he's a simple man ben and he needs simpler decisions with the roster you know similar to mike matheny and it kind of feels like they might be trying to marmal proof the roster the way that they used to try to Matheny proof the roster. And yeah. we all know how that goes uh, when yeah. John Mosaic and his lieutenants tried to build a roster so that they, you know, the manager doesn't have to do all the things that a major league manager does in this day and age. So, yeah. Well, uh, and, so I don't, we'll see. I, and I don't want to open a can of worms as we're closing here, but, you know, I will say the other thing to keep in mind is this is the last year of Mo's contract. This is the last year of Ollie's contract, and uh, Mo seem Mo's clearly going to you know leave at the end of this year, right? He's going to call it quits. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, I kind you know we had the 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 you know chatter about you know Heim Bloom, of course, you know getting involved and joining the front office. I do wonder also if some of what we're seeing is you know okay, let's let's put get something in place for this year, but recognizing that the real transformation in this organization is, is going to need to come when they, uh, you know, bring in somebody else. 
into that role, um, which I think is, is, is probably true. And perhaps ownership even recognizes that as well. Um, you know, and that could be another explanation for the, the type of moves that we're seeing this offseason. It's kind of, you know, uh, putting on the best face we can for the last year of the, the Mo and Ali regime. And, and we could see some, some real transformation next year. They certainly aren't locking themselves into anything that would prevent that kind of transformation uh, next season. No, they, they haven't even announced a, a Paul Goldschmidt extension. Yeah. Yet, yeah. Which no, which I think is a huge sign, right? Because normally yeah. they would have, you know, they would have done that in a heartbeat. So they would have signed Matt Carpenter to five extensions this offseason if he were still here in, the, <laughs> in olden times. So, all right. Well, we'll keep an eye on all of that, um, I think, you know, going forward. And, and as we said, uh, you know, we may pop in again uh, here during the offseason. Of course, we'll be back with you all regularly. Uh, you know, come come the spring, uh, folks have still you know reached out and interacted with us on Twitter and Discord and things, and we, we're really grateful for that. And, and thank you to everyone who has done that, and you know uh, asked us to record and, <laughs> and everything. So it's always nice to know that nice to know that folks are out there listening. All right, well, hey, thanks everybody. Uh, we will see you at some indeterminate off day in the future for another uh, Cardinals off day podcast.